Welcome to SACPA on this uh, beautiful day if you're a farmer. Although the farmers are going to be uh, probably complaining pretty soon about too much moisture, I'm sure. Uh, welcome to today's session. Uh, uh, we're talking about Lethbridge uh, getting bigger, but uh, is, is it getting better? And we have Sarah Ames to speak about Amy's to speak about that. Just uh, before we get to that, we'll just uh, do some household items here. Please turn off your cell phone. I did. And uh, uh, please put $11 in the basket. That's uh, the cost of lunch. And if you have coffee, it's $2. <clears throat> This uh, session will be recorded. Even though we have a small crowd, it'll still be recorded. And uh, Shaw TV is uh, taping it for rebroadcast later on this week. Uh, if someone at each table could uh, just check and make sure there's a correct amount in the, in the basket, that'll help us out a lot. Uh, I would like to uh, invite a young lady up to introduce Sarah Amis. She's from, uh, well, she was born in Canada, but her parents were Lebanese, uh, and she's, she uh, actually works at the Lethbridge Family Services. Uh, please welcome uh, Mirna to come up and uh, introduce Sarah. Good afternoon. Um, so Sarah Ames has lived, worked, and raised a family in Lethbridge since 1982. In 2001, Sarah started working with Lethbridge Family Services as the program director for the Immigrant Services Department. In this capacity, Sarah is involved in community development and educational initiatives, as well as overseeing the daily operations of the settlement office. Sarah is very dedicated in working with the city and its citizens in order to a develop a community that is supportive of and welcoming to our newest neighbors. In 2012, Sarah received YM YWCA's Women's of Distinction Award and she was named a UofL Alumni Honor Society inductee in 2013. Today she will be presenting on the demographics and diversity changing in Lethbridge. Please welcome Sarah. Thank you very much, Myrna. Um, I am lucky enough to work with Myrna as uh, one of the incredible team in settlement at Lethbridge Family Services. And that's how I do it. Okay, so I am a director. I'm the director of the Immigrant Services Department. And uh, we are a busy and thriving department uh, doing what I would feel very good work with a lot of different newcomers from many different parts of the world. Today we're going to talk about the fact that Lethbridge's demographics and size is, is growing. Lethbridge is becoming more and more diverse all the time. And uh, certainly folks who have lived in, in Lethbridge for perhaps the last two decades will notice significantly that in the last 10 years, our diversity, our visible diversity has grown rapidly and the city is, is a changing landmark. 
Um, we are nearing the 100,000 mark, which is a real tipping point for small centers. And things will start to, to um, get very, very busy very, very quickly as we, as we go beyond that 100,000 mark, because we will then be um, having an reasonable services within the city that will keep people within the city who will then stay, work in the city, have their families, and often like mine, I'm, a, I'm sort of a, a, a transplant to Lethbridge and had family all over the world, parents particularly in Australia, but when they were planning on coming back to Canada, I said, hey, it's got to be Lethbridge. It's a really thriving, going little town, and besides, I'm here. And uh, luckily for me, they agreed and they did come and stay, which is wonderful. So the Lesbridge population increases nearly 2% yearly, and that is a very steady sort of an increase. That equals about 150 arrivals a month. Um, some of those arrivals are the folks that are referred to Lesbridge Family Services through Immigrants, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, which is the new, uh, the new um, title, rather, for Citizenship and Immigration Canada. Uh, that change happened when Justin Trudeau came into, into power. More than 25% of our adult population is now of the age 35 or less. This is a, this is a real change, almost a, a, a complete turnover, because it, 20 years ago, Lesbridge would have been earmarked very much more as a center for folks who retire, a small, friendly place for people to come and spend their waning years. The fact that we are lucky enough to have, and, and if I'm speaking specifically to folks, <laughs> Uh, I apologize, but the fact that we have two really well-established, well-renowned institutions of higher learning, i.e. the university and the college, definitely attract the younger folk amongst us, which, uh, happily for us, does keep the city vibrant. Um, Lesbridge Family Services, Immigrant Services, serves approximately a thousand newcomers annually. Now, not all of these thousand people come in uh, brand new every year. We, we serve the same people year after year, but we do count the number of folks we serve within a particular calendar period, and it does turn out to be about a thousand people a year. Um, Folks, in terms of the, our refugee clients, particularly, are coming largely from Syria, Eritrea, Iraq, Congo, and Afghanistan. And we are also seeing more recently folks who are coming from Sudan and other hotspots in the African nations that are seem to be um, gearing up again. The Lesbridge population in, is continually um, culturally diverse, also due to a number of other factors. Lesbridge has been for the longest time, probably 30 years now, a destination point for settling refugees. That means that the federal government, which is in charge of selecting refugees from overseas to come and live in Canada, has a small prairie center settlement strategy. And I dare any one of you to say that fast three times and get it right. I'm not going to in front of you on this mic, that's for sure. But essentially what that means is the federal government is aware that most immigrants want to go to the three or the four largest uh, communities in Canada that would typically have the largest ethnic enclaves and communities. And they are Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, and more lately, Calgary. So in order not to overstress those cities, um, 
the feds decided that what it would do was land refugees in particular parts of Canada. Now, once a person is landed in a particular center, um, they, they have become a permanent resident and they thus enjoy all of the rights that any Canadian enjoys, one of which, and that's super important because so many countries uh, prevent this kind of thing, is that of mobility. And so even if someone has been destined to Lethbridge, they are well within their rights to say, Lethbridge isn't doing it for us, we have family in Edmonton, and we are going to move to Edmonton. Immediately they land on Canadian soil, they are permanent residents, and really the only rights that they do not share quite yet are the rights of citizens, and those are to vote and to work within the federal government system. Beyond that, they are to be treated equally as Canadians. We also have Economic Development Lethbridge, the City of Lethbridge, and employer initiatives, as well as uh, provincial government initiatives that invite temporary foreign workers into our community to pick up the employment slack. Often we find temporary foreign workers are doing the jobs that Canadians themselves eschew or are not willing to do themselves. We are, however, a very service-based society, and we do have certain demands where services are concerned, and yet we're not prepared to fill those positions ourselves. There are folks from a other parts of the world who are more than happy to come and do those kinds of jobs to get a foothold in Canada because if their cards are played right they may well be able to stay here as permanent residents and then bring their families and further grow community in Canada. Uh, the city of Lesbridge has is is very invested in a group called the CMARD team, which is the Canadian, or no, rather the Coalition of Municipalities Against Racism and Discrimination. And this is one of the mechanisms that the the city really feels very very strongly about, and actually translates to a newcomer as part of that welcoming and inclusive infrastructure that is already set in, and we will talk about some characteristics of welcoming communities after we've talked about a couple of um, uh, population profiles. So this is old news, but we're super proud of it. We are home to the largest Bhutanese community in Canada, right here in Lethbridge, and more and more people come to Lethbridge from all over Canada and sometimes the States if they are able and successful in getting in. We also have a sizable Filipino community in, in Lethbridge. As you may or may not know, the Philippine Islands and 7,000 of them are one of the largest diaspora in the world. The community, of the Filipino community, is extremely well established in Lethbridge. And as such, we don't find that Filipino newcomers access our settlement services as much as other groups would who are fewer in number because there is already an enclave, a community that is set up that can do that information and orientation and show the newcomers how to self-refer through the systems that are Lethbridge. So the, the reason I'm here is basically because this Globe and Mail article came up in October of 26, 2017. And it said the unassuming city of Lethbridge of 87,572,000 has become a popular landing spot for immigrants, 
the Filipino population, has increased by 460% in a decade. That would be within uh, the 2011 census and the 2016 census. The Arab population in Lethbridge has increased by a staggering 757% in 2016. We all know many of the reasons for that, but we will go into them. 17.1% of all immigrants coming to Canada now settle in Alberta, in spite of the fact that the Alberta advantage has become somewhat tarnished as we struggle with oil prices. However, Lesbridge is, is lucky in terms of its location and the fact that it has a variety of resources and sectors that keep the economy bubbling. And I'm talking about uh, small to medium-sized businesses, manufacturing and processing, and our, um, our um, need for agriculture and, and those sorts of things. So Lethbridge is... Um, definitely attracting more folks now than it has ever. Oh, these papers are perhaps more trouble than they were. Perhaps we'll try those. I want to talk to you a little bit about a population that is unique to Lethbridge, and there were perhaps, no, I could identify four of them prior to 2009, and that was one Bhutanese family. This Bhutanese family may well have been the reason that so many other Bhutanese folks said to the Canadian government and to UNHCR or the High Commissioner for Refugees, Lethbridge is where we want to stay. And so here I have given you a bit of a look of the numbers of Bhutanese arrivals between 2009, and this movement was supposed to have finished in 2012. You can see that they continue to come, and in actual fact, in 20, the latter part of 2017, we had another family of four. The reason here is that the Bhutanese were um, ethnically Nepali. They went to Bhutan about 200 years ago. They stayed in Bhutan. They worked and lived as Nepali individuals, and they grew in power. And one day, the, the ruling Buddhist community of Bhutan sort of woke up and said, oh my goodness, 45% of our population is now comprised by this ethnically uh, separate group, which are the Nepali. They are not Bhutanese. They need to leave Nepal. And so essentially 110 to 20,000 people were thrown out of Bhutan and told to find their fortunes elsewhere. Some disappeared into India. Many of them went back to Nepal. Nepal, being one of the poorest countries in the world, said, you gave your citizenship up 200 years ago, and we are stretched to the max. You cannot repatriate. You cannot become Nepali citizens again. There was nowhere really else for them to go, though, so they stayed in Nepal as displaced persons. And after a year or two of this, masses of people living in, on the streets in, in situations of homelessness, aid agencies and the UNHCR and the World Food Organization, World Health Organization, etc., all got together and created, I believe, about nine refugee camps in the eastern part of Nepal. These folks have been living in these refugee camps for well over 25 years. Their experience as refugees, their pre-migratory experience to Canada is very, very different from the pre-migratory experience of the Syrians, for instance. And so it stands to reason that challenges and gaps and successes will look different 
between the two groups because of the experiences that they have had and because of what they know and what they don't know. So anyway, you can see that uh, we, we welcomed many, many Bhutan, uh, yep, Bhutanese between 2009 and we continue to do so. <coughs> the ref this refugee population is extraordinary in that the whole society was resettled. Remember I said nobody was allowed to, nobody was allowed to be left behind. So the strong, the weak, the old, the young, everybody had to move. And so whole families were moving to Lethbridge and to other areas. Uh, the United States were very, very uh, generous with the Bhutanese and took in 26,000 of them overall. Typically, it is only the young and the strong who have the capacity and the resources to take that migration journey and move. However, the movement of entire families affords intergenerational and a rapidly expanding community support. It can also create intergenerational problems. It is not all roses by any stretch. But it is because the entire community or society was moved that I believe that they have had a slightly more easy time of their settlement journey and their, their journey into integration than they would have had they been very, very scattered. As I mentioned, the US did take in folks uh, from Bhutan as well, but they run their refugee system slightly differently and it is dependent on who in which community can support refugees. And so families will just be summarily split and sent to different communities where there is support for them that is being raised by the private citizen. So that renders apart uh, a very, very important piece of cultural fabric and puts the wrong people living within families if, in terms of traditions of power and hierarchy and that kind of thing. And here in Canada, our humanitarian tradition is a little bit more uh, sensitive to that kind of thing. And one of the questions that refugees are asked when they are uh, applying to come to Canada is, who do you know in Canada? Do you have friends? Do you have relatives? Can we hook you up with those people? Because we know you're going to su survive that much better with that sort of support. The refugee groups uh, from Bhutan have had very ex uh, diverse life experiences. Some have gone to university. Some were working outside of the camps. Some had never driven in a car, seen a radio, or a high-rise building. So we had an enormous range of diversity um, in terms of experience. However, in settlement terms, over the last 10 years, this group is doing very well, by and large. Many families have by now purchased their own homes, so this is great for the local economy. Extended families live together, offering emotional and financial support. Most have gained meaningful, sustained employment. And I, am, I can count, or actually I need more than two hands to count now the folks who are professionally employed by Alberta Health Services, by social and government services and private enterprise. In addition, we have the Namaste restaurant on 13th Street North. This is run by a Bhutanese family. The Himalaya store downtown is owned by a Bhutanese family. The Canadian Bhutanese Society has established itself at the Southern Alberta Ethnic Association table as a regular contributor. And the Bhutanese contribute to the ongoing cultural fabric of, Le of Lethbridge through event planning, hosting sporting events. They have brought cricket back to Lethbridge. As a Brit, I am pretty impressed. So anyway, um, the Bhutanese seniors, this is a 
dynamic group of individuals. They came to us and said, we're bored out of our minds. Right now, all we're doing is looking after babies, cooking and cleaning. There's got to be more to life than this. Surely, Canada has told us that, whoops, that there's lots to offer. And so we said to them, okay, well, what do you like to do? They said, we like to put our hands in the earth and we like to grow things. And so we said, great, let's get that handled. So we found some plots of land generously donated by the college and the university, and they have cultivated garden plots. They were responsible for the beautification of the front of the Chinook Regional Hospital, and all of the produce that they have grown has been donated back into the community, into the food banks, either the local food banks downtown or the student food banks. Here they are beautifying the, the um, round part, the sort of island, I guess, in the middle of the front of CHR. Here they are with year two of their uh, donations. This was about 2,000 pounds of vegetables that they were so happy to give back. Now in return, what we do in terms of programming is do continual English language learning. We understand these folks are elderly, and I certainly know that it's a great deal more difficult to learn the older I get, and so we, we've been very determined to provide English language training and opportunities for these folks to get together because we do not want them isolated and living in silo. And here we have taken them to the, the city hall, they met with the mayor because eventually what we hope is that every newcomer to Canada will become civically engaged, will be proud of their community, will want to vote, will want to become a Canadian. The Arab-speaking population increased since, uh, since the last census by 757%, obviously partly due to the large influx of Syrian refugees in Lethbridge. 389 GARs, or government-assisted refugees, arrived in under two years. PSRs, or privately sponsored refugee groups, also arrived, and they are uh, eligible to access settlement information and services. There has been very little outward secondary migration as yet, and it does appear that Syrians are by and large enjoying life in Lethbridge. Here are some arrival rates, just to show you how incredibly busy we were as a settlement team. It was slightly fewer in 2017, but we continue to welcome Syrian families this year as well. In terms of their immediate settlement needs, because there was so much um, noise, I guess, and interest around the Syrians, the Umbrella Association of Settlement Serving Agencies in Alberta, or ASA, did some research to determine the top five needs. They ranked them in order of importance, and this was the feedback they got from their Syrian participants. Language, housing, health, social integration, and employment. Interesting that employment comes after social integration. What that does speak to, though, is the fact that the Syrians had a very, very different pre-migratory experience than the Bhutanese. They were living quite happily. Bashir may or may not have been beastly to them if they were middle or upper middle class. They were enjoying life. They were enjoying free education and free healthcare, those sorts of things. Then the forces clashed and their homes became smashed to smithereens and there was nothing left. They immediately had to move. They ran with what they had on their backs, or less. They ran into neighboring countries, largely Lebanon, Jordan, and Turkey. There are only refugee camps really in Turkey, large refugee camps. In the other uh, neighboring countries, they become urban refugees. They have no access to medical care, clean water, regular food, that sort of thing. They are essentially on the streets making life 
happen for them. And they are living by their wits and um, doing really, really well given the circumstances. So housing in comparison to their homes in Syria, again, Homes are built by the homeowners, they are open, they don't have to uh, think about the sorts of things that we do with respect to, you know, sealed windows and, and um, what's that stuff we use? Thank you. Uh, those kinds of things. So it's a lot easier to build your own home and to create a really nice space. And the homes that we are able to offer refugees on government support are not the most palatial or lovely homes. And by and large, the Syrians came to us with quite large families, not unusual to see six or seven or eight children in a family. And when you look at your average condo and you try and you know, uh, have that larger family living in it, obviously people are going to feel a, a touch cramped. Um, there were delays in the start of the whole movement of Syrians and we did lose some potential housing. We have argued the toss with the government time and time again and have actually now uh, come out victorious because the housing allowance was grossly insufficient and it has now been bumped up and it is far more reasonable. Locating sufficiently large enough housing could have been difficult as well and certainly grieving. These folks, yesterday everything was fine, tomorrow they are running for their lives. They haven't had the sort of time, say, that the Bhutanese have had to get used to the situation. And a lot of our kids, for instance, come to us crying because they so, so desperately miss their friends and their communities. Health, the Syrians had very diverse health needs, um, largely because they were living for three to four years in completely impoverished situations with absolutely no access to any kind of health care. So virtually every man, woman, and child needed some kind of dental work. This is provided for by IFH, or the Interim Federal Health Program. Finances, folks are living under the poverty line. It is much more difficult to, to live on the resources that we provide people on support in Alberta. Um, you can only grow your own vegetables for half a, if half a year here in, in Alberta, whereas you could be more resourceful and, and do those kinds of things uh, all year round in Syria. Language programming has been a, a bit of a problem. We, because of some profiling that was done on a different group of folks that was then provided to us in settlement, we did not expect the, the, um, the enormity of the languaging that we were going to require. And there certainly needs to be more variety in offerings because we have a lot of mums at home with babes who are still wrapping their heads around the fact that they're going to pay someone to look after the baby that they could perfectly pay for the, or look after themselves. But how do we get those moms to school? How do we get them out of their houses, learning English, learning to stand on their own two feet, and not being completely isolated and potentially becoming depressed? Expectations were difficult where the Syrians were concerned. There was a lot of misinformation provided overseas, and we became recipient of many, many demands that we just were not able to um, carry out. Bureaucracy, the Syrians have rolled their eyes at us more than once with respect to how many forms do I have to fill out to buy a car? <laughs> it's like, forms is the least of your problem to buy a car. So, you know, we are incredibly bureaucratic for very, very good reason. But the Syrians come from, from a, a looser sort of a system. Transportation, we found that most of our Syrians have actually bought their own vehicles because when you're taking 10 people around on a bus, it becomes extremely expensive. 
More challenges here are, they, a lot of our Syrian friends are mourning for friends, families who have been left. Not every Syrian refugee, and there's still four odd million of them, will become resettled in a third country. There are many, many internally displaced people living in Syria, unable to get out as borders become closed and that kind of thing. And it is very difficult because we are now able to stay in touch with one another via mobile phones and be aware of the most incredibly difficult situations that our families are experiencing overseas. And if we're constantly worried about that, it's very, very difficult to get on with our own successful settlement journey. Expectations with respect to employment have, to, have been tempered somewhat. Um, again, here in Canada, we're bureaucratic. We have incredibly tight standards around things like the trades, and that has not been the case in, in countries in the Middle East. And so there is disappointment when folks are told, no, you've got to go back and learn English, and then you need to go into trade school for four years. Smoking cessation has been an enormous problem for our Syrian men. Almost every single one over 18 is a smoker, and they have now started realizing how expensive smoking is in Canada. They are very interested in smoking cessation. Um, what I am going to do, because I am running out of time, is I would like to talk to you a little bit about welcoming host communities. I've talked to you about what the immigrants, these two populations, are doing, how they're doing, the sorts of challenges that they are experiencing. Now let's turn the table a little bit and look at things from the host community's perspective. And so the presence of a welcoming host community can offset the negative emotional impact of adapting to a new country. Welcoming communities attract and retain newcomers by identifying and removing the barriers that we've just been talking about, promoting a sense of belonging, everybody can do that, meeting diverse individual needs, these are the sorts of things that practitioners in settlement agencies do, and other service providers, as we refer folks out to the many, many service providers that there are in Lethbridge that do amazing things. Offering services that promote successful integration, which means providing these folks with the ability to contribute free of barriers to every dimension of Canadian life, economic, social, cultural, and political. There are a further 17 characteristics, employment, fostering social capital, those connections within and between an individual social network, value of social contacts and connections. And especially in a small town like Glassbridge, it's all about social connections, networking, fostering that social capital. We need to ensure that if we do invite folks who have larger families, uh, that we do have affordable and suitable housing, and certainly the city is right on top of that as one of its three major priorities moving forward. There needs to be positive attitudes towards immigrants, cultural diversity. There need to be newcomer serving agencies. There need to be links between main actors working towards welcoming communities. Municipal features and services need to be sensitive. There need to be educational opportunities, accessible and suitable healthcare, available and accessible public transportation, and I know that the city is very much looking into that over its next business cycle. A presence of diverse religious organizations, and I don't know if anybody has drove, driven around town lately, there are lots of tiny little community churches popping up everywhere, as well as the larger, what we would call charismatic or highway churches as well as well as the, the traditional ones that are here in Lethbridge. 
Um, political participation opportunities is super important because unless someone is able, is being given a voice about how their society is being run, they're not going to feel connected. Positive relations with police, safety is very important, and from my perspective, to see moms relax and understand that they can let their children go to school by themselves and they know 99.9% .9 sure they are going to see those very same children unscathed at the end of the day. I have seen shoulders come from ear height to normal height because people have just been terrified about the future for their children. Favorable media coverage and representation. How are we doing? One of the things very, and I'm almost done now, one of the things that we have created at Lethbridge Family Services through funding through, with IRCC is um, a program we call LIPS, which is the Local Immigration Partnership Program. When we were working with community in a number of different sectors in a proactive response to the, recep the reception of, of Syrians, we convened a group of maybe 15 to 20 sectors, uh, all of whom touch newcomers in some way uh, as they go through their settlement journey. So we convened these folks and we asked them to be policy makers or decision makers so that we could, in actual fact, make some changes. We were very, very effective at preparing for the Syrians. And then what we did as we were sort of working in, in the background on an RFP to the government, we said, this group of people needs to flip to lip, become a lip group instead of just how do we host the Syrians? Because those sectors are already there, the key folks are already at the table, and now we are looking at how Lethbridge wants to strategize itself in terms of becoming more welcoming and inclusive, and how we plan to be more proactive for the next wave of newcomers. Thank you, and I apologize for going over. <laughs>